I'd like to start off with an idea that I think we'll all agree is true. We become most like what we gaze on with affection. We become like what we gaze on with reverence and affection. I have a couple examples of that. The first time I ever took uh, one of my sons to a big-time football game. We got tickets to a Badger football game. We go down there to uh, the stadium. There's probably 60,000 people all watching this game together. And about halfway through the second quarter, there's a pre-snap penalty. So before the action even starts, the ref throws a flag, and the whole stadium kind of pauses, and I swear this is the truth. My second-grade son goes... Dad, I think the guard jumped off sides. And the whole row in front of us turned around with open mouths like, how could such a young voice know exactly what happened before the referee even announced it? And uh, I was a little bit proud. I was a little bit embarrassed. The reason, the reason a second grader could know so much about football is because he had watched dad watch a lot of football, right? As he stared at dad with affection, he started to become interested in the things that dad was interested in. Here's another example, a little bit more humbling. Uh, my wife and I met some friends at the zoo one day, and our friends Dave and Emmy Lou were both at the time, PhD candidates at uh, the University of Madison, just an absolutely brilliant couple. We sat there at the zoo. Uh, we each had two and a half year olds at the time, and uh, we were in front of the reptile house. And there's this giant turtle just walking in its enclosure. And so I turn to my son, kind of trying to show off, and I say, hey, buddy, what animal is that? And in his defense, he was only two and a half, just learning how to talk, right? Just kind of learning the basics. He looked at that giant turtle with a smile on his face, and he said, doggy. And I was like, well, and I, I think I actually said, well, he's only two and a half. At that point, Hannah, who was Dave and Emmy Lou's two and a half year old daughter, said, Mommy, it's a tortoise, right? <laughs> Just like amazing vocabulary. <laughs> that young girl had clearly benefited from being in such a robust academic environment, right? Like while we were all watching football at our house, that two and a half year old was reading like scientific dissertations. <laughs> or how about this? Uh, when I was in college, I became interested uh, in, uh, in dating the young woman who would go on to become my wife, and she ran track at the university that she attended. Her whole life at the time was, was workouts and running and exercise, and I realized that I was going to have to kind of get a foot in that world. I realized I was going to have to start doing some of that stuff if I was going to be able to relate to her and have stories to talk to her about that were interesting. And so my sophomore year, I saw this flyer that my university was starting something called the Triathlon Club. And I was like, well, that's a perfect idea. What could go wrong? Like, I'm going to join the Triathlon Club. And then when I send her emails and call, like, we'll have things to talk about. So I showed up for the very first uh, workout with the Triathlon Club. And I found out halfway through that it was a seven-mile run. Now, keep in mind at this time, I probably hadn't run more than one mile in like three or four years. 
and uh, I had to gut my way through a seven-mile run. What's the point? We become more like what we gaze upon with affection. And because I was so affectionate towards her at the time, I started to do and like the things that she did and that she liked. Well, this afternoon we continue our sermon series on the benefits of worship. And of course, we all know that worship isn't about us. We're called to worship in the Bible. Uh, God is deserving uh, of the worship that we give him. It's not about us, but nevertheless, the Bible gives about a half dozen or so clear things that worship, ways that worship benefits us. Uh, today we're talking about this same principle, that we, uh, one of the benefits of worship is that we become most like what we gaze upon with affection. And how that's true with hobbies, how that's true in relationships, it's true spiritually as well. And the more we affectionately and reverently gaze upon God, the more we become like him. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 is all about. The Apostle Paul is saying that one of the best benefits of worshiping as God is that as we gaze upon with him with affection, we become more like him. Living here in Big Sky, you guys all know that there's a lot of different ways that people worship on Sundays. There's a lot of different things that people worship on Sundays. Some people worship fly fishing. Some people worship mountain biking. Some people worship hiking. Some people just run errands. You can golf six months of the year here, and you can ski the other six months. And so there's a lot of things competing for our attention on Sundays. And as refreshing and as invigorating as those other things can be, none of those things have the premise or the promise or deliver on making us more like God. So let's spend the next 20 minutes studying how Scriptures is declaring this incredible claim that worshiping God can transform us to be more like Him. Let's do it in two quick parts. You can follow along in the outline in your bulletin. In section one, let's just very quickly talk about the context and the background of where we find today's verse, that being 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And then let's uh, spend a little bit more time talking about what it's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when it tells us that worship allows us to experience the glory of God and that when we experience the glory of God, we become transformed to be more like God. Let's explore this in the minutes ahead. Well, I hope you've already opened up to 2 Corinthians 3. And uh, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote around 55 AD. We don't know exactly, but that's most likely the approximate time that he wrote this letter to a church that he had founded in the Greek city of Corinth. Um, the men's Bible study on Friday mornings has been it's been going through the Bible uh, uh, book by book, and uh, it's currently kind of in this in between time, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, it's been it, it, it's setting up the future where it will talk about New Testament books like. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but it's been so interesting the last couple weeks as it's been talking about the Hellenistic influence of this time. In other words, right around the time that this letter was written, the Greek Empire revolutionized the world in a way that would forever change. So every single uh, country that was touched by the Greek Empire suddenly had a revolutionary new way of how they viewed philosophy and government and education 
and leisure. And so we call that the Hellenistic influence. And uh, it's been fascinating to learn about that in the Friday morning men's Bible study. And that's very much what's going on here in the book of 2 Corinthians, is these Christ followers in a young church in a Greek city are just bombarded with new thoughts of philosophy and government and education and the like. Well, the particular thing that this part of Paul's letter is dealing with is something that we probably think about a lot here in this church and uh, as, as Christ followers. And the question that they're thinking about is, is the Bible in two parts? You got all this Old Testament stuff, and quite frankly, it's got a different tone, and it's got different laws, and it's got different expectations, and people relate to God quite differently than they do those things in the New Testament. And so they just had a lot of questions about how the Old Testament fit or was in some places feeling a little bit disjointed with the New Testament and this new life in Christ that Paul was preaching and starting this church with. Well, Paul's a great teacher. Paul's a great speaker. So he uses those questions to teach even further and greater things about the Christian faith, specifically talking about how this era that we're living in now, this New Testament time, brings us an even greater access to God than they experienced in Old Testament times. That's specifically what 2 Corinthians 3 is all about. And he's actually talking about this familiar story that we've probably heard back from Exodus 34, where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. That's probably where we get the term mountaintop experience. You guys have probably heard that phrase before, used to describe something really dynamic. And in that mountaintop experience, Moses gazed upon God, but God said, if you saw my full glory, it would be too much for you to handle, so I'll just let you see a part of my glory. Okay, that's the Old Testament story that I'm sure that we've all heard. And then, of course, Paul saying the good thing about the New Testament, the good thing about the church age, the best thing about the ministry of Christ is that God's glory is no longer veiled. We no longer are restricted to only see it in part. We now can experience the full, unveiled, unrestricted glory of God through Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 3 is all about. And then as he's kind of wrapping up that specific thought, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we come to today's sermon verse where he says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, Paul is telling us that one of the greatest benefits of worship is that when we carve out the time and the discipline to worship God, we experience his glory and we become more like him. I can't think of anything more beneficial for us to do with one hour of our week. Right? I don't want to use guilt. I don't want to coerce anybody. But I just know that I would not be able to be strong in my faith if I didn't carve out at least that much amount of time to come be with other believers in the presence of God, to come across his glory, and to become that much more like him in the process. This is something that a lot of great uh, preachers and musicians and writers uh, have given us great quotes on. Listen to what the pastor John Piper says about the transformational nature of worship. 
He says, from your heroes, you pick up mannerisms and phrases and tones of voice and facial expressions and habits and demeanors and convictions and beliefs. And the more you admire the hero and the more intense your admiration is, the more profound your transformation will be. In the case of Jesus, he is infinitely admirable and our admiration rises to the most absolute worship. Therefore, when we behold him as we should, the change is profound. The more we encounter Jesus, the higher the bar is, and the more we have the capacity to mirror those characteristics and through the Holy Spirit's power be more like Jesus. Here's what the songwriter Matt Redmond says. Uh, and I love this quote because it's, it's not always saying that we have to worship out of strength. It's not always saying that we become transformed to be more like Jesus when everything's going well. We have the capacity to grow and to be transformed even in the really hard times as well. Matt Redmond says this, I love to say that not only is the throne room of God a place of reverence, it's also a place of refuge. So when everything else in life seems to be shifting or breaking or shaking apart, there's a place that's always stable, safe, and constant. When we draw near to God and worship and approach his throne, we tap into that. It's very reassuring of a place where we're reminded that there is a God who is on his throne, and even when we don't understand everything, we can trust in him. Love that quote because even when it's an election year, even when it feels like everything's falling apart, worship still has the capacity to remind us of God's sovereignty and God's control over all things. And then that makes me that much more full of faith in the hard times. Let's pause for a second and reflect on who it is that's telling us this teaching from 2 Corinthians 3.18. Who is it that's telling us that we can become more like God through worshiping God? Well, it's the Apostle Paul. And let's just take a moment to review a couple things that we know about this man. In Acts 8.3, we get kind of our first introduction to this guy, and it says this, But then Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So the first thing that we know about the guy who's teaching us our main idea today is that he was an enemy of the gospel. With everything that he had, he was against the news that Jesus Christ came to take away our sins in the eyes of a holy God, to make us new, to give us new birth. Paul, or Saul, as his name was at that time, was an enemy of the gospel. It tells us this, though, a chapter or two later, that he came upon a great conversion. It said, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, so he went to the high priests and asked for letters to all the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there that belonged to the way, men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And there in Acts 9, 5, the answer is, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Okay? So this guy was an enemy of the gospel. He dramatically met Jesus through a bright light and through a voice. And now I want to fast forward to something that we learn about 
Paul a little bit later on in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 to 23. And I just want you to kind of read here what was said about Paul later in his life. He says, uh, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I uh, received from the Jews 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from Jews and Gentiles in the city, in the country, and at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. And I've labored and I've toiled. And I've often gone without sleep. And I've known hunger and thirst. And I've gone without food. And I've been cold and naked and all those things that whole resume are because of his belief in the gospel right so the question i want us to think about here is what transformed saul from this enemy of the gospel into somebody who was willing to endure all that hardship because the gospel became so beautiful to him and because he was so devoted to bringing it to others now keep in mind They didn't have the New Testament back then. They didn't have seminaries. Paul couldn't really go and listen to other people preach because the only churches at the time were ones that he started that he preached at. So what gave Paul his nourishment? What was it that brought about that transformation? I think Paul's great growth and transformation largely came through gazing upon Christ in study, in prayer, in worship. I think in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he's giving us the secret to his transformation. He became uh, somebody that went from that enemy of the gospel to a champion of the gospel, someone who would endure all those things to, 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 to share the new life available to everybody in Christ. And that transformation occurred through worship. As he looked on who Jesus was, and he became transformed in the process. Is that worth an hour of your Sunday afternoons? I only speak for myself, but I can't grow and mature and live with joy without it. It's a benefit of worship. It's something that we need. And it's absolutely something that God asks us to do for our own benefit, for our own strength and endurance. I've got this book that uh, encourages me a lot. It's called Dispatches from the Front. And uh, a writer basically traveled through all of the clo- a lot of the closed countries where Christian churches are not allowed. And he sought out underground Christians, underground churches, and he would spend time with them. And then uh, he would write about uh, the hope that they had uh, pastoring churches and being missionaries in these areas where you could be beaten or killed or thrown in jail uh, for being a believer. I want to share, you, uh, share with you just an example or two to illustrate how worship and gazing upon God transforms us even in hard places and even in hard circumstances. So uh, let me try to find that. So this first one happens in uh, Riga, Latvia, 
a former Soviet country, and it talks about uh, a woman named Galina, and it says this, Galina Vilchinskaya was a 23-year-old Sunday school teacher who spent five years in prison for her gospel work, but prison and hunger and beatings could not silence her. She led many in her prison to the Lord, so they transferred her to another prison, and after that, yet another for leading more to the Lord. For her, these transfers were just new gospel opportunities. Finally, Galena was transported by prison train to the utter east of Siberia, along with scores of other prisoners, the worst of the worst. And as the condemned in their cages rumbled on through the uh, Siberian vastness, the din of cursing and fighting was broken up by a clear, sweet voice of singing. It was Galena singing of her Savior, and a hush fell over the entire train car of prisoners. Even the most hardened criminals turned their faces away to hide their tears. And mile after mile, hymn after hymn, Galena sang songs of the gospel. It's really absurd that the full force of the Soviet Union was bent on crushing a Sunday school teacher for the crime of being a Sunday school teacher. Such senseless hatred, when it erupts to the surface, uh, is like opening a furnace door to hell, but the gates of hell were no match for Galena's God. And one striking proof of that is that today, 23 years later, Galena is a pastor's wife in Siberia, where she was once a prisoner of an empire that no longer exists. Decades in prison, decades without a church, decades without... Christian books and, and CDs to put in and listen to and, 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 and yet two decades later that woman is more like Christ than when the story starts because she gazes upon God and she becomes more like him in the process and uh, if time permitted there's story after story uh, in this uh, memoir of, uh, of others in really hard dark places that are becoming more transformed by God as they gaze upon God in worship. Um, so we start to wrap up here. Another example that I want to give of uh, the um, illustration of the transformative power of worship comes from my own life. And in the first 20 years that I was alive, there was nowhere in the world I would rather not be than church. <laughs> I would try to sneak in a sports page. I would uh, try to do homework. I would actually think of things ahead of time that I could then think about in church so I wouldn't have to listen to the sermon. I thought it was boring. I wanted to be anywhere else but in that church on a Sunday morning. But then, around my college years, uh, I underwent a great change. And I realized that I was full of pride and uh, lies and all sorts of impulses that were ruining my relationships and undermining who it was that I wanted to be. I had heard a lot of sermons along the way about how, how God, can give, uh, God can make you born again and God can give you new life. And so on a really frustrating night when nothing was going my way, I called out to God and I said, God, I'm sick of the way my life works and looks when I'm the one making all the decisions. Can you change me? Can you make me more like you? Can you bring about this new life that I've heard that other people have experienced? And uh, of course, I'm still a work in progress, 
But in the 20 years since, I have a totally different attitude towards church. Now, when I go to church, I see it as an opportunity to become more like God. I, I don't see it as a time to be bored. I see it as an opportunity where, where God is going to cut through all the distractions of my week and speak into my life through Scripture and through the songs that are sung. And as I see Him better and as I understand Him more, I'll be changed for the better in the process. Um, I did go to a different church, but it wasn't a different church that brought about that change, right? We started off this afternoon by saying... We become most like what we gaze upon with affection. Well, in those first 20 years, there was 30 things on the list that I had more affection and reverence for than God. So when I was trapped in that sanctuary, when I was trapped in that church, there's 30 other things that I cared and thought about more. But as I've grown to realize God's plan for my life and uh, what he wants to accomplish through me and uh, how, how he wants to declare the gospel and the new life available to others through me, right? Now all of a sudden God has climbed up the order of, 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 of what I love and gaze upon the most. And as a result, now, now church has that much more of a dynamic uh, interest for me as I know that as I encounter God, I'll be changed for the better. I kind of like this sermon series, The Benefits of Worship, because each sermon is just kind of like a one-thought sermon. Okay, they're not super deep. There's not a lot to learn and interact with. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 declares this to us. And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. In other words, a significant benefit of worship is that as we have the discipline to do it, and as we gaze upon God in worship, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are transformed to be more like God. I'd like the worship team to come and close us uh, with another uh, uh, set of, uh, of powerful songs. And as they do, I want to give you guys a challenge. And uh, the challenge that I want to leave you with is something that Paul says just a few verses later after today's main scripture verse. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.2. Uh, it says, Rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And I think a great summary of that is this. Worship should help us reduce sin. Worship should help us grow more truthful. And worship should help us have a better reputation before others. That's some of the things that it means uh, to gaze upon God and to become more like him in the process. That's a challenge that Paul gives uh, as he kind of concludes this thought, that we become most like what we gaze upon with affection. Let's affectionately gaze upon the Lord, become more like him in the process.